0: Amen. All right. Well, we're there in Numbers chapter number 11. And this morning, we are starting a brand new series. And it's always, I think, the best best to be... I mean, it's always good to be in church any time. But it's always good to be in church when we're starting a brand new series, so that way you can uh, develop these thoughts with us, you can track with us as we go through and as we develop these ideas that we're going to be talking about. And today we're starting a series called Satisfied, and we're going to learn how to cultivate a culture of contentment. We're going to spend three weeks looking at lessons from God's Word in regards to how you and I and what the Bible teaches in regards to being uh, content. And that's what the word, uh, content, the word content means, uh, to be satisfied. And, and really, the reason for this sermon or the importance of this sermon is because of the fact that there are so many people and even Christians that are living dissatisfied lives. They are living lives that are not satisfied. They are discontent, and they really don't need to. You don't need to live a life of dissatisfaction. You don't need to live a life of discontentment. And we're going to learn uh, this week or this week and the next couple of weeks uh, on how to live the satisfied life. Now, what we're doing is every week, we're taking kind of a common phrase, a common quote that kind of helps us understand this idea. And what's interesting is that in our culture, because we live such a dissatisfied culture, we've came up with these phrases or these idioms to uh, help us identify these things. So uh, we're talking about this week, on the subject of the grass is always greener. And you've heard the phrase, what is it? The grass is always greener on the other side. And this is a common phrase that we use in our culture to uh, be able to quickly identify our dissatisfaction, right? Because that's what we mean. The grass is always greener, not on my side of the yard, but on the other guy's side of the yard. Next week, we're going to talk about the green-eyed monster. We're going to learn about envy and how envy will destroy your life. And then the third week, we're talking about keeping up with the Joneses. And we're not talking about the Joneses in Boise, Idaho, that we sent out uh, to start a church. We're we're talking about this phrase where we feel like we have to keep up with the neighbors, right? The neighbors have a new car, so we need a new car. The neighbors have a new uh, toy, so we need a new toy. And we're going to talk about those things. Now, what I'd like to do this morning is to develop this idea of the grass is always greener. And I want to begin by talking about this, the reasons for the grass is always greener mentality. Why is it that we always feel like the grass is always greener on the other side? Now, there are three reasons why I believe we have this mentality, and they are all found in the passage and in the story that we read uh, this morning. Are you there in Numbers chapter 11? I want you to look down at verse number one. Of course, in Numbers 11, we have the children of Israel. They are in the wilderness. Moses has led them out of bondage, out of slavery but they are wandering in the wilderness. And I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse 1. The Bible says this, And when the people... I want you to notice this word, and if you don't mind writing in your Bible or underlining in your Bible, I would underline this word, complained. When the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and His anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burnt among them, and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people here are complaining about the fact Uh, about their situation they are complaining about the lack of food or the amount the the type of food that they are receiving and we learn here and here's what we learn about the grass is always greener mentality is that the reason for the grass is always greener mentality and the reason that you and i often feel like the grass is always greener on the other side is because of the fact that there is always something to complain about isn't that true There is always something that we can uh, be upset about, that we can complain about. Even the children of Israel, you would think that the children of Israel who have came out of slavery, they've came out of bondage, you think there would be nothing but contentment, you think there'd be nothing but satisfaction, you think there'd be nothing but happiness to walk in the wilderness and say, yes, maybe we're eating the same thing every day, but at least we're not getting beat. Maybe we're eating the same thing every day, but at least we're not being forced to serve. We're not being, uh, our children are not being murdered. We're not being put through these uh, hard rigor and situations. But here's what we learn from the story, and, and here's what I want you to understand. There is always, there is always a reason. There is always something, no matter how, how good things are, how bad things are, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what victories or conquests you've had, there is always something in your life to complain about. And here's what I want you to understand. If you are complaining about something in your life, realize that no matter what happens, there will always be something to complain about. In fact, the reason that there is a grass is always greener mentality is because of the fact that you don't have to look very hard to find something in your life to complain about. And this is a common theme with the children of Israel. You're there in Numbers 11. Go to Numbers chapter 14. Let me just show you this uh, throughout the Bible. Numbers chapter 14. In Numbers 11, we use the word complain, or the Bible uses the word complain. Throughout the rest of the, uh, uh, the book, the, the word that's used is to murmur, or murmuring. The so word murmur is a mumbled or private expression of discontentment or dissatisfaction. When someone is murmuring, they are, they, they, they are mumbling to themselves, they are expressing their dissatisfaction, They are expressing their discontentment. Look, Look at Numbers 14, verse 26. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation? Notice what he says. Which murmur against me. I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Go to verse 36, same chapter. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 36. The Bible says this. And the men which Moses sent to search the land who returned and made all the congregation, notice, to murmur against him by bringing up a slander upon the land so here they were supposed to go into the promised land but the guys come back and what do they do instead of rejoicing right about the promised land the land that god has promised them a land flowing with milk and honey what they do they came back and they complained about the land you say well why would they complain about the land that god had given them because there's always something to complain about There's always something you can complain about. And they went to this land, they came back with the fruit, it was a land flowing with milk and honey, but there was giants in the land. But it was going to be difficult. But there was problems. And here's all I'm telling you, even when you're living in the will of God, even when you are walking in the land that God has promised you, if you look, there will always be something to murmur about, to complain about. And the reason for the grass is always greener mentality in our lives is because of the fact that there is always something to complain about. Go to Numbers 16, look at verse 11. Notice what the Bible says. Numbers chapter 16, just flip a couple of uh, pages over. Numbers 16, verse 11. The Bible says this, For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord? And what is Aaron? Now they're murmuring about their leadership. Notice that ye murmur against him. Numbers 17, look at verse 5. Next chapter over, number 17 and verse 5 says this, And it shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose shall blossom, and I will make to cease from me, notice, the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. And look, before we start getting a little too harsh on the children of Israel, realize that the reason that we can identify as we follow these people's lives, the re- you, you know, we, we often look down on them, and we'll say, can you believe these people? And look, I just showed you examples in the book of Numbers. We could start in Exodus. We could look at Leviticus. We could look at Numbers. We could look at Deuteronomy. These people are constantly complaining. They're constantly murmuring. They're constantly dissatisfied. They're constantly mumbling to themselves their dissatisfaction and their discontentment with life. And before you and I get on our high horse and look down on these people, realize that if somebody wrote down your life, that if somebody who knew everything about you wrote down everything you said and wrote down every complaint you had, your story would read much like their story and my story would read much like their story because the truth is this, if you look, you don't even have to look hard, if you just look, there is always something in your life to complain about. And the reason that we have this grass is always greeter mentality is because of the fact that there is always something to complain about, But not only that, and, and, and here's what I want you to understand. Go back to Numbers chapter 11. It is human nature. It is human nature. We have this tendency, and, and you know this is true, we have this tendency to disregard the positive things in our lives and to focus only on those things which are negative. And you say, well, I don't know if that's true. Okay, but you can identify that in your spouse. You can identify that in your children. You, it's funny how we can identify it in other people's lives and people are complaining. and saying, Man, you, you've got some things to be thankful for. It's not, it's not always, it's not that bad, you know, it's not that big of a deal. But realize this, that it is human nature for us to disregard the positive things and to focus all of our attention on the negative things. You say, why is there a grass always greener mentality? Because there's always something to complain about. But there's more, it's more than just that. There is a grass always greener mentality, not only because there's always something, if you look hard enough and you don't even have to look that hard, there is always something, even when you're living in the will of God and when you're following God's will for your life, there is always something to complain about. But it's more than that. Not only is there always something to complain about, but there is a grass is always greener mentality because there is also always something to compare with. Isn't that true? Are you there in Numbers 11? Look at verse 2. In verse 1, we read that they complained. In verse 2, the Bible says this, And the people cried unto Moses. And when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. And the the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? Notice verse 5. Notice what they said. Remember, these were slaves that just got taken. They just got their freedom. They just got brought out of bondage. And notice what they said in verse 5. We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. And look, and you say, Really? I mean, you look at these people and they're, and they're saying, Man, we remember back because they're eating the manna and they're complaining about the manna. And they're saying, We remember back in Egypt how we used to be able to freely eat cucumbers and melons and leeks. Really, you can bring up leeks. You know, leeks and onions and garlic and and you want to kind of grab them and shake them and say, do you remember the beatings? Do you remember your children being thrown into the river and fed to the crocodiles? Do you remember? And here's all you need to understand. There is a grass always greeter mentality in my life and in your life because of the fact that there is always something to complain about and there is always something to compare with even if it's leeks. And it's interesting how we have the tendency to focus in on the negative in our lives and focus in on the positive on the other side of the yard. Because these people were looking over on the other side into Egypt and saying, cucumbers, leeks, melons, and garlic. That's what we remember. Go to Exodus chapter number 1. You're there in Numbers. Just go back a few pages or a few books. You're going to go past Leviticus into Exodus Here's the truth. They weren't happy in Exodus. The truth is this. They were complaining in, ex- in, in Exodus, in, in, in Egypt. Exodus chapter 1 and verse 11 says this. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters. I just want you to notice where these people came from. Exodus chapter 1, verse 11. You were in Numbers. You're just going to go past Leviticus to Exodus. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built to Pharaoh treasured cities, Python and Ramesses, verse 12. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied in glue. And they were, notice these words, grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. The word rigor means severe or harsh. And they made their lives bitter, with hard bondage and mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. all their service, wherein they made them serve, was with rigor. Again, uh, harshness, severity. Look, look at chapter five, verse 14. Exodus chapter five, verse 14. Exodus 5:14 says this, "And the officers of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten." And demanded, Wherefore have you not fulfilled your task in making bricks both yesterday and today as heretofore? And I just want to show you in Egypt, they were beaten. In Egypt, they were afflicted. In Egypt, they were in hard bondage. In Egypt, they were, uh, they were grieved. They lived in rigor. They lived in bitterness. They lived in hard bondage. But when they left Egypt and they got on the other side of the yard, they forgot all that. And they only remembered the melons and the leeks and the cucumbers, and the garlic. And here's what I'm telling you. You say, Pastor Jimenez, why is it that we have this grass is always greener mentality when we seem to, all of us, all of us seem to struggle with this idea that other people have it better and other people have it great and we have it bad. Why is it? And here's why it is. And I'm just, I'm not, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. I'm just trying to help you identify the fact that we struggle with this idea because of the fact that there is always something to complain about and there is always something to compare with you've always got something in your life to complain about you've always got something to complain about and you've always got something to look over to the other side and say well they've got it better and they've got it different and they've got it good there's a third reason go back to numbers chapter 11 if you would you're there in exodus you know go leviticus numbers numbers chapter 11 you say, what, what's the reason for the grass is always in your mentality? Well, there's always something to complain about. There's always something to compare with. But thirdly, there's always something to covet after. There's always something to covet for. Now, you may not familiar with the word, be familiar with the word covet or covetousness, and I want to define it for you from the Word of God. But I want you to notice there in Numbers chapter 11, and verse 4, notice what the Bible says. And the mixed multitude that was among them Remember, these people were comparing and complaining. They were complaining about their yard, and they were comparing with the other yard. And notice what they do now. The Bible says, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. Now, usually when we think of the word lust or lust, we think of a physical relationship between a male and a female. We think of it in that connotation. But the word lust simply means to desire. And in this context, these people were lusting after food. And throughout the Bible, you find that people lust for all sorts of things. That, that word is used throughout the Bible to lust after food, to lust after uh, money, to, to lust in a physical relationship type of way. And I want you to understand this, that the definition or a synonym for the word covet, if you say I'm not familiar with the word covet or covetousness, a synonym is the word lust. Let me show that to you from Scripture. Go to uh, Romans chapter number 7. In, in the New Testament, now please keep your place in Numbers 11. We're going to come back to it at the end of the sermon. So when we go back to Numbers 11, you'll know we're almost done. But go with me to Romans chapter Number seven in the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter number seven. Notice what the Apostle Paul said. Romans chapter seven and verse seven. Romans seven seven says this: "What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, ha- nay, I had not known sin. I want you to understand. Paul is teaching us." One of the purposes of the law, which the purpose of the law is to to show us that we are sinners. Now, he's just going to give an example here, but what I want you to focus in on is on the example. He says, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. So he says, the reason, the way that I can identify sin is because I can identify uh, uh, a sin through the laws of God. Then he gives an example. He says, for I had not known lust. I want you to notice, he says, I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. And if you go back and look at the Ten Commandments, and we don't, we're not going to, when God says, Thou shalt not covet, He says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thy neighbor's wife, thy neighbor's ox, thy neighbor. He gives all these things because you can cut, uh, covet or lust after anything, after everything. And it just means to have a desire to have something that someone else has. And and you say, well, why is that? Why is it? Here's why it is. Because when you and I choose to complain about our situation and we choose to compare with other people's situations, that leads, the complaining and the comparing will always lead to coveting, will always lead to lusting. Will always lead to desiring something that we do not have. And when we give ourselves to desire that which we do not have, we live dissatisfied lives, discontented lives, lives that are not satisfied. And here's the thing it's human nature. You're there in Romans, go to First Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter seven, just the next book over. First Corinthians chapter seven. Let me show you this. The Apostle Paul kind of teases this idea. Uh, out in 1 Corinthians 7, notice what he says. Look at verse number 17. If you're there in Romans, just flip one book over, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, look at verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. Notice what it says. But as God hath distributed to every man, and that really is the key, and we're going to come back to that idea in, uh, uh, towards the end of the sermon, and I just want you to remember that. That it is God who hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called... Notice what he says, everyone, so let him walk. Here's what he's saying. When he says, as the Lord has called, meaning the Lord called you for salvation, and he says, in whatever area, this is the context that he's talking about, he says, whatever area the Lord called you in, he said, you should walk in that calling. You should walk in that area because it is the Lord that has distributed to every man. He said, what you have, He said, what you have is because God gave it to you, where you are is because God led you there, and you should be satisfied or content with that. Notice what he says, and so ordain I in all the churches. Now, he's going to give his examples. Look at verse 18. Is any man called being circumcised? He said, look, when you got saved, when you came into Christianity, when you began to walk with the Lord, he said, were you called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Okay, now look, that's not even possible, Right? He's giving us an illustration. He said, look, if you, were, if you were called being circumcised, he said, don't become uncircumcised. He said, well, I, can, I couldn't even do that. Here's the point that he's making. Don't think Or desire that the way that other people have it is better than how you have it. He said, if you were called circumcised, be okay with that. Don't desire to be uncircumcised. Is any called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. Look at verse 20. Let every man abide in the same calling where he was called. Verse 21. Are thou called being a servant? Care not for it? But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. Look, he's not saying there's anything wrong with moving up in life. He said, look, if you're a servant and you can be made free, great. But he said, you know what? If you can't, if thou art called being a servant, he says, care not for it. The word care means to worry or obsess over He said, don't worry about it. Look at verse 22. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. Likewise, also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. Look at verse 27. He says, art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. He said, are you married? Well, don't. Be content in that. So many married people out there, I wish I wasn't married. And then he says this, art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. And here's what he's saying, and here's what he's teasing out. He's teasing out this idea that you and I live discontented lives. And look, it's from the beginning. We bring it into our culture. We even develop it into our children. Isn't it true? I mean, look, we have been living discontented lives since our childhood. I mean, talk to a child. You ask a kid, how old are you? Five and a half. What's wrong with being five? What's, I really want to be six. Five and three quarters, Right? And all these kids, what do they want? They want to be 13 so that they can be teenagers. But you know what? Once they become teenagers, they're not satisfied with that. Because you know what every 13-year-old wants? They want to be 16. So they can get a driver's permit. They can get a license so they can drive. You know what every 16-year-old with a license wants? They want to be 18. Right? Right? I mean, this is the world we live in. You get a single person, and what do they want? What are they upset? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. Nothing in the world wrong with it, as long as we keep it in its proper context. But you talk to single people, and all they want, I will be happy, I will only be happy once I am married. But you know they get married? Still not satisfied, because you know what happens then? Well, yeah, I'm married, but I don't have children. I will be happy once I have children. And then once they have children, well, I'll be happy once I have more children. Then once they have more children, well, now I'll be happy once I don't have children, right? (laughs) Because I'm looking at all these empty nesters and I'm thinking they've got the life, right? I mean, I mean, look, and this is human nature. I've got, I've got six children. My oldest is eleven. My youngest is I don't know, eight months or something like that. And you know what I do? I look at these parents with these teenagers that have licenses. I'm like, you can send your kids out for Starbucks? That is awesome. Why? Because we live discontented lives. Because we live lives that are constantly wanting something else, something different, something new. Why? You say, what is the reason? What is wrong with us? Here's what's wrong with us. What's wrong with us is that there's always something to complain about. There's always something to compare with. And that will always lead to covetousness. It'll lead us to live Unsatisfied lives. You say, Pastor Jimenez, this sermon has done nothing but depress me at this point. (laughs) All you've told us is what's wrong with us. I know. Here's what I'd like to do I'd like to help you with what's wrong with you and me and everyone else. Now, the problem is complaining, the problem is comparing, the problem is Covetousness. We're going to spend the next three weeks dealing with these subjects. Next week, we're going to talk about covetousness, and we're going to talk about envy, the green-eyed monster that takes over your life and will destroy your life if it goes unchecked. In the third week, we're going to talk about comparing, this idea of keeping up with the Joneses and why it is that we have to try to keep up with people and try to impress people that we don't know or we don't like. Why is it that the thousand people on Facebook have to be impressed with my life, who I don't even know or really care about? But today what I'd like to do, today what I'd like to do is spend the rest of our time giving you a solution for this idea of complaining. Because this is where it begins. There's always something to complain about, there's always something to compare with, and there's always something to covet after Now, uh, you're there in uh, 1 Corinthians, go in the book of Philippians, you're going to go past 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And I want, what I want to do this morning, and I, we won't take long, I want to give you three very specific and practical steps to help you with this idea of complaining. Because here's what I know, we all complain. We like to complain. We enjoy complaining. It's a pastime to, for us to complain. So how do we deal with this idea of complaining? I want to give you three very practical steps and if you've not taken any notes or written anything down up to this point that's fine because everything i told you you already knew but what i'd like you to do is to write these next three statements down i want to give you three practical statements for how to deal with complaining are are you there in philippians chapter two now first second corinthians galatians ephesians philippians philippians chapter two i'd like you to look down at verse number 14 remember our word murmur it means a mumbled or private expression of discontentment or dissatisfaction Philippians 2.14 says this, Do all things without murmuring and disputing. You say, Pastor Jimenez, what is the first step towards the solution of complaining? Well, number one, if you want to write this down, okay, this is deep, you need it. Quit complaining. (laughs) Just stop it. Quit your complaining to others. You have to make the decision that I will not be a complainer. I will not complain about my situation. I will not complain about what I'm going through. I will not complain about the grass on my side of the yard. You say, why? Why does it matter? Here's why it matters. Because once you go down the road of becoming a complainer, there is no stop. Because there's always something to complain about. So you say, well, what do I do? Number one, quit your complaining to others. Quit your complaining to others. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. This is a command from God. God is telling you, look, I want you to do everything you do. I want you to do it without murmuring, without discontentment, without dissatisfaction, without complaining. So quit your complaining to others. Quit your complaining to others. Now, I'd like you to keep your place there in Philippians, okay? We're going to come back towards that part of the Bible, but go to the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. If you can find in the Old Testament, you've got those one and two books. they're all clustered together 1st 2nd Samuel 1st 2nd Kings 1st 2nd Chronicles go to 1st Samuel chapter 1 how do we solve this problem of complaining because that's where it starts that's why we're discontented that's why we're dissatisfied because we complain well number one just quit your complaining quit your complaining to others just stop yourself from complaining but number two I'd like you to notice this story here 1st Samuel chapter 1 and verse 12 and look here's the thing about complaining is that there are some very weak, kind of you roll your eyes, like really? Complaints like when God just brought you out of bondage and you're complaining about not having leeks and garlic and melons, right? But there are some legitimate complaints. And here's what I mean by that. There are some legitimate things in your life that you might be going through that are hard, that are difficult, that are hurtful, and I'm not minimizing those for you. Those are real. You say, well, what do I do with those? let me give you an example. We're going to jump into the story of a, young, of, a, of a young lady. Her name is Hannah. You might be familiar with her. She ended up being the mother of one of the greatest prophets the nation of Israel ever knew, a, a man by the name of Samuel. We're in the books of First and Second Samuel, First Samuel chapter 1. Hannah was barren. Hannah could not have children. She lived in a culture where it was accepted, uh, where polygamy was accepted. So not only was she married without children, but she had a, another wife, another woman that was also the wife to her husband that was having children. And this was being thrown in her face. She lived in a culture when having children was the way that these women identified the blessings of God upon their lives because they understood that children are a blessing. Now look, if God doesn't give you children, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you or is not blessing you. But this is the culture that she lived in. She was dealing with this, struggling with this um, idea of being barren and not being able to have children. Children, notice what the Bible says in this story, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 12. And it came to pass, as she, that's Hannah, continued, I want you to notice this word, praying. I want you to notice what Hannah didn't do. Hannah didn't mope around. Hannah didn't walk around with a, with a big, you know, with her, lips, her bottom lip sticking out. She didn't walk around complaining. She didn't walk around depressed. She didn't walk around discouraged. You know what she did? Hannah understood something. That when you have something you are struggling with in life, you should quit your complaining. I hope you wrote that down. Here's point number two. You, and you should turn your complaint into a prayer. You say, how do I deal with complaining? Well, number one, quit your complaining. Quit your complaining to others. And number two, turn your complaints. Turn your complaints into prayers, and it came to pass, First Samuel 1, 12, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth, but Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard, therefore Eli thought that she had been drunken, and Eli said unto her, how long wilt thou be drunken, put away thy wine from thee. and Hannah answered and said, no my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit, I have drunk, no, she said, I, I, I'm, I, I'm hurting here, I'm struggling here. I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've poured out my soul before the Lord. Notice verse 16. And here's really the key verse. Count not thine handmaid as a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my notice. Complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. But she's not speaking to Eli. She's not speaking to her friends. She's not speaking. who she speaking to? She's speaking to God. You say, how do I deal with a complaint? Here's how you deal with a complaint. You quit. <laughs> You're complaining to others. You say, but Pastor Jimenez, that is so hard. Because sometimes I'm going through something, I'm so upset about that. And look, I'm with you. I get that. You say, what do I do? Here's what you do. When you feel that, and go to go to the book of Psalms, if you wouldn't mind, you're there in 1 Samuel. You go First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings, 1 Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. You, once you get past the First and Second books, you've got Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. Go to Psalm 14. Here's what you do: When you feel that complaint welling up inside of you, that dissatisfaction, that discontentment, I want to complain about something you say what do i do at that moment here's what you do you don't allow yourself to complain do all things without murmuring you stop it right then and there you say yeah but i still got that frustration i still got that feeling i still got that anxiety that wants to complain you take that complaint and you turn it into a prayer to god see there's nothing wrong with complaining is there something wrong with complaining to the wrong person you say what do i do with my complaints you take your complaints to god And here's what I know. If some of you began to pray as much as you complain, you'd be the greatest prayer warrior this world has ever known. Because you complain so much about so much. And God says, God says, look, I don't mind you complaining. Hannah, nothing wrong with complaining. But she said, out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. She turned her complaint Into a prayer. you There in Psalm 142, look at verse 1. Notice this is what David did as well. Psalm 142, verse 1. Mascul of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. This is the heading to the psalm. I want you to notice the heading, if, if your Bible has that. This is a prayer, this is a psalm that David wrote when he was in the cave. Now, when he was in the cave, if you remember, he was running for his life. He was a wanted man. He had a death warrant on his life for doing nothing wrong. I think he would have had a legitimate complaint. But notice what he does. Psalm 142, verse 1. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. The word supplication means request or petition. Verse 2. I poured out my, don't miss this word, complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. You say, Pastor Jimenez, how do I deal with this idea of complaining? Well, number one, you quit your complaints. You quit your complaints. You quit complaining to others. But number two, you turn your complaints into prayers. Every time you feel that need to want to complain about something, you just stop for a moment. You say, I'm not going to allow myself to complain, but I'm going to take a moment and turn this complaint into a prayer. I'm going to take this complaint to God. I'm going to say, God, you know this situation is bothering me. You know This situation is hurting me. You know this situation. I'm just dissatisfied with it. And Lord, I'm asking you to do something about it. I'm asking you to help me with it. I'm asking you to intervene on my behalf. You quit your complaining. You quit your complaining. You quit your complaining to others. You turn your complaints. You turn your complaints into prayer. Thirdly, if you can go back to Philippians chapter 4. I think I asked you to keep your place there. Philippians chapter 4. So how do we deal with this attitude of complaining? You quit. You turn. You quit your complaining to others. You turn your complaints into prayers. And then thirdly, if you're writing down notes, I'd like you to write the statement down. In your complaint, you find something to be thankful for. Because here's the truth. It's not always as bad as we make it out to be. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Notice what the Bible says. Be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. I want you to notice these words. You might not have ever seen them or made sense to you in the past, but I want you to see it. But in everything, and don't miss this, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Notice how the Bible is all connected. Let your requests be made known unto God. He says, look, in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You're there in Philippians. You're going to go past Colossians into the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verse 17. I want you to notice that in Philippians 4, 6, it said, in everything. Someone said this, I don't have to be thankful for everything, but I can be thankful in everything. He says, In everything. In everything. First Thessalonians five seventeen says this: Pray without ceasing. Notice how these, these thoughts are inter interwined; they're connected. Pray without ceasing. That's what you do when you have a complaint. So that's what some of you, if you turned your prayers into complaints, you'd be praying without ceasing. Or you turn your complaints into prayers. Excuse me. You'd be praying without ceasing. Verse eighteen: In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. See, the Bible says, and God actually commands you to in everything give thanks. He says, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And you say, well, yeah, but you don't understand. And here's what you don't understand is that in everything, there is something to be thankful for. You don't have to be thankful for everything, but you can be thankful in everything. And if you spent as much time looking for something to be thankful for in your life as you do looking for something to complain about, you would find that you have much to be thankful for. Matthew Henry lived in the 16 and 1700s. He's best known for a six-volume biblical commentary that he wrote, and I am not endorsing the commentary this morning. But there is a well-known story about this man that I think is a helpful illustration for us today. After he had been mugged one day on the streets of England in the 1700s, he went home and he wrote this in his journal. He wrote, I am thankful that I have never been robbed before. I am thankful, although he took my wallet, he did not take my life. I am thankful, although he took all I had, it was not much. And I am thankful that it was I who was robbed and not I who did the robbing. And here's the truth. You can find something to be thankful for in every situation. You can find something to be grateful for. You say, but I cannot be thankful in everything, and that's okay. You can't be thankful for everything, but you can be thankful in everything. And you say, "How, how do we solve this? Grass is always greener on the other side. Problem. You've got to solve the problem of complaining. You say, what do I do? You quit your complaining. You quit your complaining to others, and you turn that complaint into a prayer, and you find something to be thankful for in that situation. Go to Psalm 23. If you open your Bible just right in the center, you'll more than likely find the book of Psalms. Psalm 23. You know what? One of the most famous passages in Scripture. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Look down at verse number 1. Psalm 23 and verse 1. We're talking about this grass is always greener mentality, right? Because here's what you and I think. Because you and I like to complain and compare and to covet, we think the grass is always greener on the other side. But you know what's interesting is that the Bible tells us something different. The Bible tells us something different. One of the most famous passages the Bible has, Psalm 23, look at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. On Wednesday night, we learned about the good shepherd. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Jehovah God. Notice what David, the psalmist, wrote. He, put, he wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. Don't miss these words. I shall not want. That word want means I'm not in need of anything. I don't desire anything. I'm not dissatisfied. I am satisfied. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You say, why, David, why? How do you live a satisfied life? He maketh me to lie down in, (laughs) don't miss this, green pastures. See, here's the truth is, the truth is, is that the grass is always greener with the Lord. He maketh me to lie in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He said, look, my outside circumstances do not affect my inward contentment. He said, because, he says, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. My rod and my staff they comfort me. Thou preparest before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou, uh, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. <laughs> Notice the, the wordings of satisfaction. It says, "My cup runneth over." He said, even in the presence of my enemies, I have something that I can be thankful for, and I can acknowledge the fact that you have prepared a table before, for me before the enemy. He said, my, my, my cup runneth over, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And here's what I want you to understand, and here's, and here's where I want to land this idea, and we're going to pick it back up next week. But I want you to understand, we're going to look at a couple more passages, I want you to see this. But here's what I want you to get. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want for uh, the Bible says he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. And here's what I want you to understand. You and I can be content and we can learn to not complain when we understand this, that where I am, the Lord led me and what I have, the Lord gave me. And I have to believe, I have to believe that God knows the best for me. Go to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter number 11. I'm going to have you go to Numbers 11. I'm going to have you go to Hebrews chapter 13. If you want to find those references, well, we're going to finish up right here. Numbers chapter 11, where we started, and Hebrews chapter 13. If you kept your place in 1 Thessalonians, you're going to go past 1 Thessalonians, past 1 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. While you go there, let me tell you a story. Corey and Betsy Ten Boom were courageous, compassionate Dutch Christians who helped harbor Jews from the Nazis in Holland during World War II. After the sisters were arrested for so doing, they were imprisoned in Ravensbrück, a German concentration camp. When they were brought into this concentration camp, they were allowed to, or they weren't allowed, but they were able to smuggle in a Bible with them, which they used to read out of every morning, these two sisters did. One of the first mornings that they were in Ravensbrook, their devotional time for that morning was in First Thessalonians chapter 5, and they read verses 14 through 18. We've read those verses, but let me just read them to you again. First Thessalonians 5, 14 and 8, through 18 say, say this, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The story goes that when they read this passage, the older sister had looked, looked to the younger sister and said, The Bible says that in everything we should give thanks. Because this is God's will for our life. And they said, we should be thankful for where we are. And the younger sister said, really? We're in a concentration camp. I mean, we're being mistreated here. And she said, you know, we ought to be thankful. And she began to give her things to be thankful for. And she began to pray. She said, Lord, I thank you that I am here with my sister. And her sister said, yeah, I can be thankful for that. She said, I thank you that we are here with a Bible that we can read and and we can nourish our souls. And she said, yes, I'm I'm thankful for that. She said, I'm thankful for it. And she began to give certain things that she was thankful for. Lastly, she said, I'm thankful for the fleas. One thing they'd noticed when they'd stepped into this concentration camp, when they were led into the big room that housed all of these people, they had noticed that it was crowded. It was overly crowded, crowded more than the previous concentration camp than they had been in. They'd also noticed that there was a severe infestation of fleas. All of their beds were made out of hay, and they were completely infested with fleas, which continued to bite them all night long as they tried to sleep. And here, this young lady says, Lord, I thank you for the fleas. And the younger sister says, wait a minute. There's some things that I can't be thankful for that even God can't make me thankful for. And the older sister said, you know, the Bible says we're be so thankful for everything. It doesn't say to be thankful for only the pleasant things, but to be thankful in everything. You said, Lord, I thank you for the fleas. As time went on, they realized that in this concentration camp, and not just in the concentration camp, but in this big room, they were given an unprecedented amount of freedom they were allowed to hold Bible studies and prayer meetings. They were allowed to walk around freely and uh, and and open the Bible and preach the gospel. And they always it always kind of they always wondered why is it that they allow us in this room nowhere else but in this room we're allowed to just have freedom that we don't have anywhere else. And one day the older sister figured it out and she ran to her younger sister and she says, "I figured out why we have so much freedom." I said, "What is it?" She said, "Earlier today we're working." And there was some sort of disruption, and we called one of the guards to come in, and the guard refused to come into the big room. And when he was asked why, he said, because it's infested with fleas. And they said the reason that they were able to read and pray and hold Bible studies freely was because of the fleas. And here's all I'm telling you, that in everything we should give thanks Because there may be a blessing connected to that one thing that you say not even God can make me thankful for. That. And here's the point. I can be content when I understand that where I am, God led me. And what I have, God gave me. And I have to believe, I have to believe that God knows better than me. Go to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number eleven. Hebrews chapter number eleven. I'm, I had to go to Numbers, but I'll just read that for you. The Bible says this: and when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. Say, why, why did the complaint displease the Lord? Here's why it displeased the Lord. Because God brought them there. Because God let them there. Because God gave them all those things. Because everything you have in your life is something that God gave you. The Bible says that every good gift is from above. It cometh down from the Father of light. And here's all I'm telling you. If you're struggling, if you're struggling with this idea of contentment and I'm just complaining and I'm just dissatisfied and I just don't understand. You say, Pastor, what should I do? Here's what you do. Quit your complaining to others. Turn your complaints into prayer, and find something to be grateful for. Because I can be happy, I can be satisfied when I am satisfied in God. Hebrews 13.5 says this, let your conversation, the word conversation means your lifestyle. Hebrews 13.5, let your conversation be without covetousness without lusting desiring dissatisfaction comparing complaining coveting he says let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have that's clear This verse, I've said this before, this verse for a long time perplexed me because I did not understand the connection between the first part of the verse and the second part of the verse. Because the first part of the verse tells you to live your life without covetousness and to be content with such things as you have. And you think that God is going to tell you how to do that. How is it that I can be content with such things as you have? But then he just says this, for, meaning because, so he's saying, look, be content with such things as you have because he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And I would think, well, that's kind of uh, anticlimactic. I'm going to be content with such things as I have. I'm going to be content with where I am in life because God said that he will never leave me nor forsake me. But here's, when you understand this idea, you understand this verse, that when you understand that where you are, God led you, and what you have, God gave you, and you can have confidence in knowing that God knows better than me and than you, then I can be content with such things as I have. Because he said, he will never leave me nor forsake me. This is why David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Look, we all complain. I get it. I complain. You complain. But we will live dissatisfied lives. We will live unhappy lives. We will live depressed lives. We will live the rest of our lives upset about what we don't have and what the other guy has. Unless we realize that where I am, where I am, the Lord led me. The Lord is my shepherd. What I have. The Lord gave me. He is my wonderful, heavenly Father. And I can believe that even in the fleas, God knows better than me. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for these truths in Scripture. If there's any doubt that the Bible was written divinely, there's that doubt should go away when we realize that this book speaks... To the human heart. And the truth of the matter is that we live dissatisfied, unsatisfied, discontented lives. But the answer is not in more. Things will not satisfy. The answer is in realizing that you know better than us. You've given us our situations. You've given us our Children, you've given us our marriages. You've given us our jobs. You've given everything to us, and you know better than we. And Lord, I pray you'd help us. Lord, I pray that, that, that everyone here would leave here today determined to not be a complainer, determined to stop those complaints, turn them into prayers, and find something to be thankful for, because in everything, we can give thanks. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to live lives that are satisfied in you satisfied in who you are and where you've brought us to. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.